All right, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 from verse 14 to 16 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow or grow up, as it says in the ESV, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We've been in a series called Grow Up. We've been looking at God's mandate and his call on his church being the body of believers, not a building, to grow into maturity, to become what he has created us to be. And today is, we're going to get very practical. So today I'll talk a little bit of theology to start with and then I just want to land on some practical vision stuff for us as a church, especially as we begin to close out one financial year and move into the next financial year. We had a members meeting on Monday, so I want to fill us in on a bit of that uh, and what God's doing in that space, what we feel like God's doing. Then next week, our Celebration Sunday, which is going to be awesome. Don't miss it. Be here. God is just, it's so exciting to see two young people getting baptised, giving their lives to the Lord. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to have, I'll speak for a little bit, but then we're going to have the team coming up, sharing some of the stuff that God's doing. It's going to be uh, and a, a bit of a carnival-y type thing if Ben Peters gets his way and we have the slushy machine out and whatever else coming out. Uh, but a chance just to talk and to sign up to ministry and just uh, believe for what God's doing. So be here next week as we finish up what is effectively a two-part message. This next week, two parts of the one whole. Good? You with me? How's the energy level in the place? Fantastic. So we're looking at grow up, that where God's call is for us to grow up, to grow into who He's calling us to be, to not uh, stay stagnant in our faith, to not just go, well, I've given my life to Jesus and then not see any transformation. God wants to change us into His likeness. He wants us to grow into the fullness of the head. That is Christ. And that is His call for us. So that when trial comes our way, it would actually be too growing to just be pushed around and to give up on the faith, Yeah. Or even so when prosperity comes our way, blessing comes our way, would actually be too growing to just sell out to our culture and just go down that path. We'd actually, you know, when the winds of life come and blow and beat against us, it would be too growing to just be knocked out of that sacred soil which grounds us. God wants us to grow up. He wants us to become like that tree planted by living waters. I don't know about you, when I, was, when I first got saved, it was all about get in the river, get in the river with God, get in the river. And it was so, you know, yeah, I'm in the river with the Lord. But actually when you read scripture, a lot of the time it's be next to the river. <laughs> get your roots down deep because the river's great, but sometimes, you know, you can get pushed around. There's strength God wants us to have. He wants our roots to go deep to the living water. And when the enemy comes against us, that he's not going to prevail against us. He's not going to knock us off, off our course. Where, when the lion roars, we're not going to be intimidated, but we're going to take our ground, take our stand and pull out our sword with our helmet of salvation and our shield of faith. And we're going to say, I'm too growing to give up. Oh, I feel like preaching this morning. How's the energy? We're called to grow up. God's calling us to grow up. And so as a church, this is what we've been looking at. Looking at growing up in Christ. And the way that we talk about discipleship is 
as for those of you who've been a part of this church family for all, we talk about how discipleship is cyclical. It's not linear. We don't start one place and end somewhere and look back and think, well, there's nothing more for, you know, no more growth left in me. I have arrived. I am officially a picture of Jesus. It doesn't happen in this life. A day will come when we are, you know, taken up with him. But in this life, it's a cycle. It's a cycle of belonging, believing, becoming, building, investing in the kingdom. And, and that feeds back into that sense of belonging. One, in who we are in Christ, but also in Christian community. We're called to grow, constantly growing in Christ. And a part of this series, some of the things the Lord's laid on my heart is, if we add that next layer to this, is that, in belonging, we looked at this idea of it's like, it's like plowing and sowing the soil of our hearts. That God is the one who actually plows the soil of our heart and he sows the seed in our heart. There's different types of soil and as we wait on the word of God, that soil's churned up and he begins to transform us. And Mark last week preached on the idea of sprouting and establishing, abiding in Christ, resting in Christ, allowing the truth of God just to, to infiltrate our very being. And in so doing, we begin to see transformation. The seed changes and it sends roots down. And as it sends roots down, all of a sudden, the sprout comes up. And today and next week, we're changing tact a little bit. We're going from that, that picture of, of just allowing God just to do what he wants to do and actually looking at what does this idea of building look like? Where God invites us to put our hand to the plough, where this cultivating faith or nourishing or feeding, depending, I'm not a gardener or a farmer, but that idea that there's an investment that we give which will reap a harvest. And in the reaping of the harvest is actually then a releasing of more seed, a spreading of more seed, which causes more growth and kingdom expansion. You with me? And that this is the heart of discipleship, this constant cycle of growth, that we would grow up into Christ. Growing up into what? Ministers. Week one, we talked about the fact that we are all ministers, that it's actually like my job is to equip the saints for works of ministry. The other staff's job is to equip the saints for works of ministry. If you're in Christ, it means if you believe in Jesus, you're a saint. That's your new nature, yeah? That's who you are. And therefore, God wants you to know that you're a minister. You don't come and just consume from a minister. You are a minister. And so you become, therefore, a kingdom contributor. And the interesting thing is it's in the kingdom contribution that God actually grows faith in our hearts. It's like he's the one who puts the seed of faith in us. That seed of faith does its work and it causes us to invest in the kingdom. It causes us to put our hand to the plough. It causes us to do what he's called us to do. But it's in the doing that God actually does more work in and through us. Don't believe me? Read verse 16 again. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. So he's the one who's doing the work. But then it says, as each part does its work. So it's as we work, as we're serving God, as we're investing in His kingdom, He starts to do more through us. So he's, he, it's this constant cycle. God's doing it, we do it, and in the doing, God does it. It's called to partnership. 
He says, partner with me. I'm doing a work, but I want you to put your hand to the plow. Here's the image I got. Uh, is that um, as we were worshipping before, anyone, you know, we, this thing called the Olympics, which has kind of disappeared with coronavirus. You remember the Olympics? And I had this picture of the, the kayaking race or the, they sit in those streamlined kayaks and it's, and off they go. And they paddle. Is anyone with me here? You know what I'm talking about? And they're racing. It's sport, yeah. And off they go. They're paddling to the end. And the interesting thing about that is, is when they finish the race, there's not a single person, like no commentator is going to come up to the person who won that race and just be like, man, that boat was incredible. That boat was so fast. No, they celebrate. They honour and they celebrate the athlete paddling the boat. And God has called us to be a vessel. He's called us just to offer our boat. He's the one who does the work. So there's no boasting. It's not that we go, man, look how good I am in growing God's. No, God is the one doing the work. God, we say, God, just use me. Just hop in my vessel. Just use me however you would. And it doesn't matter how broken you think your vessel is or Maybe you're someone who comes to you and you think, man, my vessel's pretty good looking. Well, you think your vessel's pretty well put together. Guess what? It's just a boat. It's God who does the work. And so therefore he gets the glory. But he wants to use us. He wants to partner with us. He wants us to grow up and say, hey, I've got kingdom work to do in and through you. And so this is what we're looking at. This is what we're looking at. And as we come to today, today's message is really birthed out of pre-Easter when we were filming our, our Easter promo. I don't know if you've been there, but somewhere that way, over, over the little creek that's down there, there's a tree that this school calls the Far Away Tree. Has anyone gone for a wander? If you haven't gone for a wander, do it. There's this amazing tree. It's this enormous oak tree, right? So I thought, I'm going to get there a little bit early. These guys are going to do the filming. I thought, I'm just going to go and abide. I'm going to go and have some time with God and just sit with God and enjoy some time in prayer. And so I positioned myself under the tree and I had the Bible. And to be honest with you, it wasn't a very good time. Because like every five seconds, I had an acorn falling on my head. Now, if you've ever been hit in the head with an acorn from 10 metres, it hurts right? So I'm trying to have time with God. I'm sitting under this beautiful big tree, just being like, Lord, you know, trying to pray and all this sort of stuff, and just dodging like acorns and looking up, wondering. In the end, I just gave up and sat somewhere else. But it's funny, in that moment, the Lord said to me, he goes, Dave, is this tree healthy? I was like, yep. He goes, why? I said, well, look how big it is. It's enormous. He's like, it doesn't mean it's healthy. There's a ton of other trees that are enormous and are very unhealthy. How do you know this tree's healthy? I was like, oh, look at, the, look at all the leaves and the branches and how broad it is and it's, it's amazing. It's like, that doesn't mean it's healthy. So like the reason, the, the, the way that you know that this tree is healthy is because you're getting plonked on the head with an acorn every five seconds. Because health is revealed in the harvest. And an acorn is effectively the fruit, I know it's a nut, but the fruit of the oak tree. You with me? And I felt like what he was saying was, Dave, what I'm interested in is fruit, not foliage. You might look the part. You might, like, as a church, we might be big and we might have great reach and to the outside eye, everything looks great. If there's no fruit, we are not healthy. 
Same is true in our individual lives as a Christian. If we are not bearing fruit, we are not healthy. The purpose of growing up in Christ, what He has done for us in saving us and redeeming us and setting us free was so that He could send us, was that we would bear fruit, that our lives would look different, that we'd be dropping acorns all over the place. Health is revealed in the harvest. That we're called to bear fruit. And so today's sermon title is this, Faith, Fruit and Foliage. That we would move from being a people who sprout and establish and have great foliage to being fruit bearers. People who leave a legacy. People who offer their vessel to God to do immeasurably more than we could hope or imagine. So with that said, let's get stuck into this. Fruit is visible. Fruit is visible. Spiritual growth will always lead to tangible transformation. It always will. Fruit is something that people will see. Have you ever seen someone who was far from Christ and their life's been radically transformed? Anyone? There's plenty of people right in this room. What do you notice about them? They're different to what they were. You see, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of someone and changes someone, their life looks different. It doesn't mean that one day I wake up and I'm completely different, but over a period of time, you see that slow, gentle transformation and you can't help but be different because that's what fruit does. Fruit is tangible. Fruit is visible. You can see something different. This is what God's calling us to. We see this in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. Someone say learned. That is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught, someone say taught, with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What is this saying? Paul's saying that I want you to bear fruit. That when God gets a hold of us, life will look different. There is an old self and there is a new self. The old self is who we were before Christ. We talked about the fact that when God does a work in me, when I come to a place of faith, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm a new creation. And a new creation means you're new. You're not who you were, you are who He's made you. And so we're in the flesh, which means we still make mistakes, we still stuff up, but by nature is different. The very essence of who I am is new. And He's saying we actually have to put that new self on. We actually have to remind ourselves constantly of who we are and begin to walk in that. And as we walk in that, as we we step into that, as we put our hand to the plough, that's when we start to see the fruit that only God can bring 
all over the world. That we are called to be that new self. And interestingly, it's a really similar, um, a similar message to what Paul gives the Galatian church. In Galatians 5, there's that really famous passage, isn't there, about the fruit of the Spirit. Hands up if you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit before. Many of you, if you've grown up in church, you know the fruit of the Spirit. You learned it in Sunday school and you probably did a picture with an apple and you coloured it in and next to it you wrote, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, faith. Gosh, you're a quiet bunch this morning. This is not going to go well. We need to fire up a little bit. Love, joy, peace, on we go. And we know the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul's talking about this and he talks about the deceitful desires as well. He's like, there's this old way of life But we actually want you to step into the new way of life. God is calling you to grow up. And as you grow, you will bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, on and on and on. He's like, this is is what it is. And he explains what those deceitful desires are. And it's really interesting because I don't know about you, but often that Galatians 5 passage is so Sunday school that we actually lose a picture of what that looks like literally in our lives. Like what what is... the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. What does that look like in the outworking of my everyday life? What does it mean to love? What does it mean to have joy despite my circumstances? What does it mean to be peaceful, like have a peace that passes understanding in our modern context? When I go to work and I've got stress and I've got kids who won't sleep and yell at me just because I told them to have breakfast and What does that look like? And in Ephesians 4, Paul's really interesting because he's on about the exact same idea. Put off the old self, put on the new self, but he gives us a different picture of the fruit. And I love the picture that he brings. And so here's what we're going to see. He's going to split it into a couple of things. There's character stuff, but there's also this this calling thing that he's going to look at. And so the first thing I want you to see, verse 20 from Ephesians 4 He's looking at the idea of being teachable. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self and put on the new. Friends, maturity will lead, well, will, will flow out of, or will know you're mature when you're teachable, right? You'll know you're mature when you're teachable. You know you're growing in maturity when you are showing signs of being teachable. Teachability requires humility. Teachability is when someone comes to you with a word, maybe it's a correction or maybe it's even just a different idea and you are actually open to hearing that and learning. And in our world at the moment, one of the greatest problems we have is the problem of pride. And you're seeing this even in the church. Recently, there's a stack of famous pastors who have fallen off their perch, so to speak. And in the aftermath of that, what's being said about them is this one damning critique is that they weren't teachable. They couldn't heed correction. They couldn't listen to instruction. They were not teachable. Friends, it doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or if you've been a Christian for 48 years, seven months and three days, you need to be teachable. The fruit of the Spirit in you and in me is that we are teachable. We are open to correction. And we don't get offended every time someone comes to us with a word. 
Stop being offended. We love to get offended. We need to be teachable. I pastor a church. I could be offended every single day of the week. That's a joke. But it's true. (laughs) All of you, you could choose to be offended every day. You really could. Every one of us, someone could say anything to us and go, oh, I'm offended at that. And we could you know, harbour that and we could get angry about that and we could then blow up about that. Or we could just go, well, let me process that for a minute. Is God in that? Is God trying to teach me something? Sometimes it'll come in and you get to the point, you go, nah, nah, that's really not a word that I need to hold on to. And you can just brush it off. Other times it's a seed that goes in and you've got to deal with that. You've got to let that grind you up a little bit and actually go, hang on, I need to change something. We must learn to be teachable because that's what the Spirit will do in us. Be teachable. Are we teachable? Are you teachable? That's a question for you to think about this week and pray, Lord, help me to be teachable. Help me to grow. Second thing that you're going to see here is that the evidence of that fruit in us is that we are truthful. Verse 25 Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For all members of one body, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. We're called to be truthful. Now, here's the thing. Truthful doesn't just mean we go around just quoting the Bible all the time. Truthful doesn't just mean that I always speak the truth in love or I never tell a lie. Truthful actually has to do with our character. Truthful is about integrity. Being truthful isn't just about what comes out of my mouth, it's what's evidenced in my heart. Let me put it this way. Being truthful is actually being real and authentic within our own selves. Being truthful is acknowledging the fact that I don't have it all together. You don't have it all together. None of us have it all together. We are not perfect. We are being perfected, but we are not perfect. And as we actually own that, it enables us to connect with people on a whole nother level. Jesus puts it this way. He says, don't go pulling out the speck in someone else's eye unless you're prepared to acknowledge the plank in your own eye. What he's saying is, like, understand firstly, be authentic and be real. And if you're authentic and real, that's living with a truthful heart. That's living, understanding that I don't have it all together. So when my brother and sister are struggling, I need to recognize that they don't have it all together. Therefore, instead of lording it over them, I come to them with this attitude of humility and grace. And we can then start to see reconciliation and transformation, the way that God wants to transform us. We've got to learn to be truthful. So Owning that in terms of our character. It also means don't be a gossip. Even if the thing you're speaking about is true. You know, I'm being truthful. I'm just like, let's pretend. Let's just pretend for a moment that Adam over here does something silly. Okay? And it's true what he did. And so I could truthfully go to Andy over there and say, oh, can you believe what Adam did? Adam did this. That would be being truthful, wouldn't it? Speaking the truth. And Andy can go, oh my goodness. And then he goes over to Barry and he's like, Barry, can you believe what Adam did? And and then Barry's like, oh my goodness me. So he goes over to Jeanette and he goes, Jeanette, you would not believe what Adam did. And Jeanette's like, oh my goodness. 
And Jeanette then goes over to Iris. And she's like, Iris, we need to pray for Adam. We've got to pray for him because he's done something really silly. So then we have a prayer meeting about what Adam's done. And then all the people are, oh, Adam's got a real problem. That's gossip and it's not being truthful, even though the word might be true. Does that make sense? What we're supposed to do if someone's, if, if there's a truthful word that needs to be spoken, what do we do? Go to the person. Don't go to someone else. Go to the person. Speak that word of truth and allow God to do what only God can do. It's part of being teachable and only teachable people will see transformation. If we're not teachable, we won't see transformation because we see no need to grow. And God calls us to grow. Why? Because we're not yet grown. (laughs) He wants us to grow. So we've got to learn to be truthful. Third thing, and this is where we're going to sit for a little bit, is that we are called... Actually, before I get there, let me give you one more example because this is a good example. Has anyone seen Rocky Six? Do I have any Rocky fans in the house? All right, firstly, all of you need to go and watch Rocky Six. The Rocky movies are some of, it's the greatest franchise ever done. That is a big, bold statement. The Rocky series is, anyway, Rocky Six was made years after Rocky Five when the initial installments were done. And there's this fantastic scene where Sylvester Stallone, now an old man, he's about to fight another fight, right? And his son, who is now a grown up physically, comes to him and he's complaining. He's like, why are you doing this to me? I almost did Sylvester Stallone's voice for the son, but that's not the son. He's like, why are you doing this to me? He's like, you know, you're ruining my life. You're doing this. You're doing this. Now I can't do this and I can't do that. And Sylvester Stallone just sort of sits there and listens like, you know, how Sylvester does. And after the son finishes his go, Sylvester Stallone just produces the greatest monologue. It's like two minutes of slide, yeah, 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 doing his thing. And he finishes and he basically, the point is he's basically like, You're just, you know, you're blaming everyone else for your own stuff. And then he finishes and he goes, he's like, cowards do that and that ain't you. Cowards do that and that ain't you. I don't know if that was any good for Sly. And at the end of it, he then says something which is fascinating. He says, and you're better than that. And what I love about that is it's this next level of being truthful. It's actually learning to call people up, not call people out. Instead of going and just condemning people and pulling them down, he actually pulls him out and goes, you're better than that. That's not who you are. It's a, word, it's a truthful word that he needs to hear. But instead of tearing down, he's building up. First Corinthians says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Ephesians 4, the whole thing is about being built up in love. We as a church, there's maturity in us. We know when we're able to call people up instead of calling people out. Call them up. You are in Christ. If you're set free from that, you're a new creation in Him. Therefore, I'm calling you up. Come on, you're better than that. This is who you are. Don't walk in the filth of the past. Don't put on the old clothes. Put on the new clothes. Put on the new garment, the garment of righteousness that that Christ has bought for you. That's who you are. Come up. That's a part of speaking the truth. Now, third thing. Trustworthy. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Someone say work. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those 
in need. There's a really interesting word in here about maturity. You see, the first two are around our character. This one is around our calling. And this is where we're sitting for the rest of this and next week, is that we are actually called to work. That's the whole point of this passage, as each part does its work. As we grow, we will invest. We're called to work. And what God is saying is, a mature person is trustworthy with the work I've entrusted to them. We know we're growing because we are trustworthy with the things he has entrusted to us. What has God entrusted to us? The gospel of grace. (laughs) Going to the end of the earth, making disciples of all nations. It's a pretty big thing to entrust people. Ever thought about that? That God would actually call a bunch of fishermen and a tax collector and a few others and go, you go. I'm going to give you my spirit. Go. I'm entrusting you with the work of the gospel. That's incredible. That's amazing. He says, go. Be mature. Filled with the spirit. It's not by might nor by power. With the spirit, go. I'm entrusting this to you. I'm entrusting this calling to you. And in Matthew 25, we see this famous story of uh, the, the landowner with the servants and he, and he gives them a bunch of talents and he says, go and do something. It's this picture of what God is doing with us so that he gives, he entrusts us with work to do. And really it's a picture of time, talent and treasure. He gives them something. He's like, this is something, I want you to go and work, use the talents to work and you've got An unknown amount of time. You don't know when I'm coming back. So you've got time. What are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do with the talent? And there's a value to it. It's a treasure that they're given. What are you going to do with that? Time, talent, and treasure. He's saying, basically, the work God's given us to do, it falls into one of those three categories. Time, talent, and treasure in the time that we have on this earth. What are you going to do with it? Will you be trustworthy with what I have entrusted to you? And so as we close today, this is where I want to get a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot practical with us as a church. Is that all right? Would that be okay with you all? That God is actually, I want to focus on the treasure. And we don't talk money a lot in this church. You know that. And if you're a visitor here and you're like, that's what they always say. Ask the person next to you. It's true. We very rarely talk money. But we're coming into a brand new financial year. And I'm going to close in a minute. So, Um, So if you can come up. As we come into a new financial year, we want to be trustworthy with the things that God has given us. We want to steward what God has given us well and wisely. And we are feeling that it is time for us as a church to take some big steps of faith. At Verdun alone and Lobethal where we're planting... We currently have around 900 people calling this congregation home. We currently have 3.4 full-time equivalent staff members, okay? Now, most churches, if you look around, it's about one full-time staff member to 100 to 120 people. So ours is around one full-time staff member to about 280 people, all right? Now, God is being so good and so gracious And he continues to bless us. But I want to be really honest with you. 
is that our staff is getting fatigued. And the reason they're tired is because we're ministering to a lot of people with a lot of needs. And I just feel with great conviction that it's time to take a step of faith and increase our staffing. You're awfully quiet. So for our next financial year, we have proposed that we double our staffing. Take a bit of a leap of faith and actually effectively double our staffing here at Verdun. And I'm not talking all gate. They're going to increase staffing as well. But we want to take a bit of a leap of faith. But in order to do that, that costs money. So last year's budget that we had as a church, I told you I'm getting practical. This is like we had our members meeting on Monday, so I'm filling you in was around $300,000 for us as a church. This year, we want to increase that, or around $360,000. This year, we want to increase that by about $200,000 to about five hundred and sixty dollars to cover the staffing, the extra staffing, and to facilitate some ministry. Now, with that said, can we hand out some of those booklets? Because we've got some information which I want you to think about and read about as it comes to being, I guess, trustworthy with the stuff that God's given us. Is this an unrealistic leap of faith? Is this foolishness? Is this being bad stewards? I think not. And here's why I don't think it is. If we had 300 people in this church community give $70 a week, $70 a week being the tithe, which we'll get to in a second, of minimum wage in this country. If 300 people gave $70 a week, our church budget would be $1.2 million. What we're budgeting for for the next financial year is $560,000. Is that therefore an unrealistic leap of faith? Is that being a poor steward? I do not believe so at all. In fact, what I'm believing for is that God is gonna grow us up. I'm believing that God is gonna do such a work in the lives of this community, in and through this place, that not only will we exceed the proposed budget that you now have before you, but actually will we'll exceed the proposed uh, tithing budget that I just said. That God is gonna do immeasurably and abundantly more than we hope or imagine. Here's the thing about money. God doesn't need our money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If God wants to put 1.2 million in our bank account, He can do it like that. If God wants to put 560 so we can pay our staff for the future, He can do it like that. He doesn't need your money. So Dave, why are you talking about money? Because God wants to use your boat. Because God is in the business of using our boats. Why? So that He can do a work in our lives that will produce fruit. You know the tithe. The tithe is the giving of the first 10% of everything we have. That's what the tithe means, 10%, the 10th. And it's a clear command in Scripture that we would bring the tithe to the storehouse. Exodus 27, bring the tithe to the storehouse. Bring the tithe, Exodus 34. Bring the tithe, Exodus 36. It's constant, this command to bring the tithe. And people in the church say, that's the law. I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Do you know, it's interesting that actually the tithe doesn't start in Exodus 27. The tithe begins in Genesis 14, before the law. And in Genesis 14, God, just before Genesis 14, God has made a covenant with Abraham. 
a covenant of blessing, a covenant of providence, a covenant that He will make Abraham into a great nation. He's made a covenant. Then what happens is there's a series of, like a battle that goes on. And in that space, you can read the story for yourself. We'll be here till lunchtime otherwise. But basically after the battle happens, Abraham encounters this high priest called Melchizedek. Talk to Ethan Fleming about that later. He'd love to talk to you about Melchizedek. But something fascinating happens in Genesis 14 is that after Melchizedek comes and blesses, and Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus, he comes and blesses Abraham. Abraham's response to that covenant blessing is that he gives 10% of everything to Melchizedek. The tithe is not a principle of the law. The tithe is a principle of covenant. It's a covenant theology. When I am blessed, I give out of my abundance. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Therefore, we give out of the abundance. It is not because I have to to earn God's favour. No, it's because I do it because He has already shown me favour. And here's the thing. As, As God imparts blessing, look around. God has blessed this house. God has blessed you. Even if you're going through difficulty right now, there is reason to celebrate and praise because you've got breath in your lungs. You are blessed. You live in the Adelaide Hills. You are blessed. You are blessed more than 99.5% of any other human being on this planet. You are blessed. And if you're in Christ, you come under the eternal covenant blessing of God Himself, the Abrahamic covenant that we would be, uh, He would be a blessing to all nations. We live in that covenant in Christ. We, we currently live in the covenant of the eternal blessing of God. And because of that, we get this opportunity to bring just a tenth of what He has given back to Him because it's His. And more than that, we then get to be generous. We get to be generous with all that He's given us. And so often we fall in this trap of going, well, that's legalistic. Well, you're being legalistic about legalism. It's not legalistic. It's an opportunity to let God reveal His goodness to us. You know, Malachi 3, Malachi 3 says something really interesting. From verse 6, says, I, the Lord, do not change. How good's that, by the way? So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. That means God's covenant with us, the God's covenant that He made with Abraham applies to us and we walk in that. Ever since the time of your ancestry, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Listen to this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yeah, you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Basically, the only place in Scripture where God invites us to test Him. Every other place it says, do not test the Lord your God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When it comes to the tithe, test me. Test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. What does it mean to rob God of tithes and offerings? Can we actually rob God? Like God owns everything. How can you rob someone who owns everything? How can, how can we rob God? I've wrestled with this this week. And I realised something. Is that what he's talking about here is actually what we're robbing him of is an opportunity for him to grow faith in our hearts. We're actually robbing God. When we, when we hold on to what God has given us and called us to give back, we actually rob God of an opportunity to produce fruit in our lives. We rob God of an opportunity to show Himself faithful because we're so consumed with us trying to meet our own needs. We actually, we, we, we rob Him of the opportunity to show that His promises are true and that He's the one who provides all of our needs. And so we're living in a poverty mindset. Oh, I must, I must look after myself. I must hoard unto myself. And actually we move into a, a mindset that we serve the God who created everything, who knows of the God who paid a tax by Peter catching a fish and put money in its mouth. Do you not think that God can meet our every waking need? Do we not think that the God who clothes the lilies of the field can't clothe us? And every time we, we don't actually give back to God, what we're saying, our actions are saying, I don't believe that you're faithful and true, Lord. I believe that I'm more able to meet my needs than you are. Please, I'm not trying to condemn us here. I'm trying to encourage us that we have a God of covenant, a God who blesses His people, a God who says, hey, test me in this. Test me in this. Take a leap of faith. I know it's scary. Heck, this is something we wrestled with for so long. It's scary to go, man, I just, I'm just making ends meet at the moment. But the moment we started to talk, can I tell one story? I know we've got to finish in a second. Can I tell one story? When God first started like stirring our hearts around the tithe, Joe had just got a job teaching and needed a laptop. And we're like, man, I can't tithe this week because I've got to buy a laptop for my wife for a job, right? And I just felt like God had been convicting us saying, no, it's mine. I will provide for your needs out of the 90%. It's a lot. But you need to bring that to me because that's mine. So we tithed and we brought that to God. Two days later, there was a knock on the door with a package. In that package was a laptop. Not just a laptop, a printer and a scanner and all the bells and whistles. Three times the value of the laptop we were gonna purchase. To this day, I don't know how that laptop got there. But what God was showing me in that moment is that He's faithful and He's true. And what I'm not saying is that we give to get. Hear me. That's the prosperity gospel. That's not what this is about. We don't give to get. We give because God has first given to us. And sometimes the blessing of God is actually us sitting in discomfort because He's building character in us. And sometimes the blessing of God is the abundant provision of God. I just want to encourage us as a church to be prayerful about this. Maybe you're someone who's here and you tithe frequently. I want to encourage you to take a moment if you're married, meet with, you know, go and spend the week with your spouse and pray about this. Is God calling you 
to bring an offering. Maybe you're single, go and pray about it. And you've never tithed. Is God calling you to, to start to step into tithe? Maybe you're someone who gives over and above and you've been giving extra to this church and God's actually calling you not to give to this house, but to give somewhere else. Pray about it. I want you to do what God is calling you to do. But my prayer is that we would be obedient. And as we are obedient in this area of treasure, that we'd be trustworthy with what He's given us. As we give back to Him, as we test Him in this, we would not fail to see the provision of God in our individual lives and in this church. Because brothers and sisters, guess what? God's only just beginning. Do you believe that? You're awfully quiet today. Do you believe that? We're about to plant a church. I'm so excited about what God's going to do in that place. But that's not the only thing God's going to do. It's been prophesied over this place that there'll be, we'll be inheriting 10 cities. That God is going to call us out. He's only just scratching the surface of the incredible work that He wants to do. And so here's what I want us to do this week. I want us to pray and I want us to ask God around this area of treasure. I want us to ask God, what is it that He would have us do in response to this call? What is it that God would have us do in response to this call? Because I, for one, want to be obedient. I, for one, want to see the full blessing of God poured out of my life. So let's stand to our feet. It's never easy to talk about money because where our treasure is there, our heart is also. But I just thank you for the invitation. Father, this, I just pray that no one here would, would see any form of manipulation of we need your money. No, 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 no. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to just offer what we have to you. An invitation to offer the boat that you might produce fruit in us. That we might trust you, Lord. That we might be proven trustworthy with what you have entrusted to us. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you for the great work you're doing in this place. And Father, as we look towards the future, as we look to the vision that you've placed on our hearts, to see you glorified, to see lives transformed and hope revealed, just stir our hearts and prompt us, Lord, in the areas that you're prompting us to be obedient. Stir our hearts towards faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, love, joy, peace, self-control, these things. May we bear fruit, Father, not just foliage. May we bear fruit, we pray. In Jesus' precious name and all God's children said, You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.